Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 1. Sister Williams, would you read verse 1 for us? Okay. All right, go ahead on. That's no problem at all. Now that the spring was more crafty than any other wild animal, that the Lord, sorry, now that the mm -hmm. Lord God had made, he said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? That's it. Amen. Just verse 1. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, on tonight, from our homework, verse 3, I mean, verse 1 of chapter 3, now the serpent. The Hebrew word, nakash. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? I thought you said serpent. Uh-huh, serpent. But the Greek, the Hebrew word is nakash. When I looked that up, it had different versions of it. It did say that we would classify it as a snake today. Mm -hmm. uh, that it could be at that time be something that would have stood up. Right. Okay. And, uh, but when the Lord put the curse on it, you know, okay. it says you you know, the dust or whatever. Okay. So it gave you, you know, that's where that illustration, it was a snake. kind of like where they was they would walk around. Okay. Cuz I was look reading something and that's what it was saying. Okay. Did I you I had it down you, but now shoot that. That <laughs> All right. Yeah, I know how that is. I'm trying to get pastor to get get yeah, us some internet in here. Cuz we getting yeah, we just keep on working on. Yeah. Now, did you get any other um background on the car? Um my I just got basically what Sister Dunn said, the Hebrew word Nakash is used to identify the creature that appears in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. Uh -huh. And also, it was so funny that you said that, it was talking about even the fruit was not actually an apple. That it was, uh, I'm always reading something that I fall asleep, but uh, it was not actually an apple. Because mm -hmm. then we don't have we There's don't no have any identification of what kind it, of fruit it was. That's exactly that's right. Yeah. So, so far, we have gotten the background on the kosh as being a snake, um, legs. possibly upright, right. with legs, with legs. What else did we find about the word in the kosh? They said by being made to crawl to the bellies in the dust. That was the, that was the punishment. Mm -hmm. like okay. Like going to work and us having a wonderful time after we're 12, 15, and giving birth. All right, all right. So, so ever, anybody have anything different about the word nakash? When I looked it up, it just kept referring back to serpent, and it said snake, but then it said serpent came from the Latin word serpent. Which is the present participle to creep or crawl. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Now. Did you just look that up? Did you just look that up? No. I looked it up earlier today. 
I had looked it up. I was trying to read commentaries because different commentaries <coughs> say different things about yes, they it. Do. They, they have yes, different they descriptions, but that word is the Greek word they said, describing yes. a snake. Narcotic. Yeah, because like historically they say it wasn't something that would have been with the dinosaur family, but after, because humans existed. Okay, all right, so... And we've got, okay, so we've got Nakash as a serpent. And we've got some definitions of Nakash. Oh, what's going on? Oh, okay. Amen. Amen. Sister Santa's good to see you. All right. Now, Nakash. Did anybody happen to look at a Hebrew lexicon? Anybody? No. Okay, but the the, re, the readings that you found about it talked about it being a snake. Crawling on his belly. Did y'all find? Did, what did you find, Sid? I actually brought some print out for what I found. All right. It talked about it being um, a you, shiny being. Ah. It talked about it being um, almost like an angel. Okay. Um, that's what I'm looking for right there. Yes. Pass, let's pass that out, because that's what I'm looking for. Just for Sister Sanders back. I didn't do my homework. Me neither. Me neither. I didn't do it. Me Sister Sanders, go ahead and go through your document because this is what I'm looking for. Okay. Um, it just it gave different references in the Bible about um, how sometimes we take things literally, but you have to look at um, the underlying meanings. But for this particular subject, it just talked about it being um, a shiny being. It talked about it. Um, Mm-hmm. Yes, I would know it's uh, Grass or copper. Mm-hmm. Um, now. That's right, because he was an angel and he was the... Yeah, as we're, as we're dealing with this this handout, because it's on... This is why I asked about the... Did anybody look at a Hebrew lexicon online if you were looking? Because that's the thing that gets us a lot of time. When we come to a biblical text, we come to a biblical text with a whole lot of baggage. We come to that text with all the things we've heard, you know, the things that, that, that our perspective about things. And what that does is a lot of times taints our ability to interpret. Because we see things into the scripture before we even began to try to to. To unpack it, if you will. So, here, in this handout, has a lot of what comes from the Hebrew lexicon. In the word nakash, is more than just snake. Is more than just serpent. But it's also cunning. It's also shrewdness. It's also divination. And being very bright and shiny and attractive is in the word nakash. So now that this term or this word has more 
than just snake or serpent in it. We have to come to this text a little bit different. Instead of coming to it where we already think we know about this serpent, we have to come to it from what we are given from denotation and context. So now, if we look at this text and insert now the shiny one was more cunning than any other beast of the field. Well, Ferguson, yeah, yes, what you got? Uh, nothing, nothing. Some, 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 something I heard. Okay. Brother like, wow. BJ, you had something for us? <laughs> you got something for us, BJ? Uh -huh. I didn't catch it, but I just, I knew something was going on there, so I wanted to kind of catch it before it got away. Now, back to the serpent. If the shiny one is more cunning than any other beast of the field, now we got a being who is attractive, not only in his words, but in his appearance. Now, the Bible is a literary work. Everything in the Bible is not wooden literal form. Like, like this paper talks about it, there's, there can potentially be allegory, there can be metaphors, there can be... Um, Analogies, there can be all kinds of things. There can be sayings. There can be idioms that are in the word of God. That those who lived during the time of Moses would easily pick it up. Just like we pick up things today. Now, here's a case in point. In line with this text. If I said, you know that so-and-so out there. Boy, that devil. He is some. He is something else. Uh, let's say I say uh, Bob is boy. That devil is something else. Do you think you're gonna see a devil or a human? But when I call that human a devil, what am I really saying? That he's a Uh huh. He's evil. But I didn't necessarily. I didn't necessarily wouldn't literal form say, hey, I was looking at a devil out there and his name is Bob. Did I? Now, with literary text, there is an opportunity here for the readers in Moses' day to be able to see that and see that as a similar uh, a denotation or a similar uh, tag. That serpent. And in that serpent, when he said Nakash, he didn't necessarily give them how he looked right. completely, that he was crawling on the floor and that, but that he was cunning and evil, but yet attractive, a shining one. That he was in a form that Eve would be attracted to. Because... Some things we won't really know till we get to glory and that the Father shows us and explains to us. But at the same time, when we come to a text like this, we have the opportunity to let that text speak to us in a way that we can look at it 
from the way we would talk in our own vernacular. Sometimes that's why we always have to worry about the context from a historical, grammatical, and cultural perspective. Because the reason why I'm going back to verse 1 and dealing with this is what we're going to deal with later down here when we deal with the curse. Now, if nakash can mean snake, nakash can mean serpent, but it can mean these other things as well. In the context, we can find that this being is being something more attractive, a shining one, but one who had evil intent and was very shrewd with it. Because when I say that devil Bob, it could mean he's an actual imp. He's an actual one of the third of the angels that follow Satan, right? But because I called him Bob, in our current context, we're like, no, he's talking about a human being. But who has devilish ways. So now, with that in light, here in verse 1, let us go down to verse 14. Verse 14, <coughs> Sister Morris, would you read verse 14 for us? I'm reading from the NIV version. Let me read. So the Lord God said to the subject, because you have done this, cursed are, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. All right. Now, this verse right here gives us a whole lot of trouble from an interpretive standpoint. Because what do we do with this verse? Because of the way it reads, what do we do? We take it out of context. Ah. Yes, we do. And so when we see this curse, we immediately say, well, it had to be a snake. Now, it says, because you have done this, you have cursed more than all livestock in some Bibles. The other says all cattle. But in the, in the Bibles, it says, you are cursed more than all cattle. Do we think that it's uh, um, a cow? <coughs> A bull? Do we say we we don't even think that, do we? But then when we look a little further, we see there's more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go. And so when we begin to see that, we start to say to ourselves, what is it that we know of now that crawls on its belly? And then we say, snakes. That's right. Because that's what we start to trying to make an identification to our current context. But then we look at this further and it says, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Does a snake eat dust? Doesn't, does it? So now we got an interpretive problem. We took part of this 
And we made it wooden literal and said, okay, we got it. He's crawling on his belly. And then we come behind that and say, was eating dust all the days of his life. But one part fits the snake, but the other part does not. They live in Do they? Uh huh. Depends where it lives at. Huh? This paper was saying that you have to look at it like how we say you like the dirt up under my shoes. Right. Like you lower than anything. That's what we're looking for. This is an excellent handout. Because that's right. Because the Bible is a literary work, it has metaphors, it has allegory, it has analogies, and it has sayings or idioms that we have to be careful not to put in the wooden literal sense and then see it for what it is. Sister Sanders, continue with what you learned about that piece. Uh, I didn't really get to read all of it, but it was just saying how it's just made a lot of references about um, it says um, when it says thou shalt crawl on his belly and go says this figure means um, how you're the heel and the head mm -hmm. um, I, I, I did this like last week so I can't really remember everything no you're doing good though mm -hmm. he, he, you're doing very well with this okay now watch this, because the part that Sister Sanders just brought in, we're going to also deal with as well, because we've got to find some symmetry. We've got to find some cohesiveness to what we're reading here in quotations. So now as we begin to look at that, we start to read it from a sayings, from an idioms standpoint. And so it says, and that you will go into your belly, you shall go. If I say that someone knocked him down and knocked him out, what am I saying? If I say someone has been knocked down and knocked out, they're down for the final count. What am I saying? Uh -huh. But what does that really mean? Does that mean I physically beat them? But no, they have been. What? What? Yeah, they, 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 they lost the fight. They lost the fight, right? The word "knocked" by itself. What? What vision? What uh, image do you get? But you could get knocked out by hitting that door. Okay. Well, no, just the word, not knocked out, because that's a term in knocked. itself. Just knocked. It's a bomb. Or, or you just say, they knocked him down. That can be like, they knocked him down. No, I broke that down a little bit. Close. Just the word knocked. Ow. A knock. A motion, a knock. Yeah. So if I take that, which we most commonly know of knocked, as, oh yeah, um, Sister McDaniel's knocked. The first thing coming to your mind is she did. So if I say she knocked him out and I look at it in this wooden little form, she just did like this. 
But that ain't necessarily how the person got knocked out. Right. Could have got drugged. Could have got punched. Right. Could have got what? Air cut off in yeah. a headlock. Yeah. But in our vernacular, we pick certain images based on the phrases we see. In our culture, in our time. But we have to be so careful not to carry all of our stuff back in time. We have to try to get the culture and the historical in what they would have during their time. So now we look at this, and we look at this and we say that, and you shall eat dust. And it said, on your belly you shall go. That now this being has been knocked down. He has been knocked down. So maybe you looked at low, like you looked at lower than other people. And looked at lower than where he was. Yeah, because he was been knocked down. So now he's down. It wasn't a physical knockdown. Not in this context. Yeah, that's what I Yeah. But this is saying something else to you too. He's been demoted. Yeah, he's been demoted and he's been something else with a defeat. Uh a D. He's been been defeated because now he was up and this this terminology is like he's been he's been knocked out he's been TKO'd he's been on his belly he shall go but then look at the next part what does it say and he will eat dust all the days of his life now this being who was victorious over this woman and over this man to get them to eat of this fruit or this off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has now been knocked down. And the next part shows us that he'll be eating dust all the days of his life. We got a saying that says, another one bites the dust. Huh? In this... When we hear another one bites the dust, what do we see? Has been defeated and been knocked out. Been, but this says all the days of his life. So now we got a time period to go with it. He's bitten the dust. And he's bitten the dust for ever. He is defeated. And he is defeated for Ever. Now we start to get some cohesiveness to what this piece of the text is actually saying. So now we're starting to see it in its idiomatic way. It's in its sayings. Just like in our sayings. But their sayings is a little different because time has passed. Words have changed. People have changed. And things have changed. But yet it's still an idiom. And so now we go on to verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, do we take that in a wooden little sense? Do we take that? We took, before yeah. we looked at this, we took 14, literally. But we, do we take 15, literally? No. We don't. Why? 
why don't we take 15 like we took 14? It's all in the same, it's all in the same uh, uh, speech. It's got us on the same quotes, but we make a shift with the, with the second part there in 15 because what? What is it about that? that why, we, why we make a shift? Okay. No, because you're talking about uh, her between your offspring and her offspring, her offspring will attack your head, and you will attack her offspring's off uh, spring's heel. Now, so that's watch the this. Child and the youngest child. No, not quite. Not quite. But but let's back up a little bit. Now we notice that different translations say this differently. But when we look at the King James or the New King James. It says seed. Right. What if we heard the word seed by itself? What comes to our mind? That's right. In the context, now watch this. If we're in the context outside the world without a church context, we hear the word seed and we see a seed that we're gonna plant. But when we bring it in here and we bring it in the context of a biblical explanation, and I say seed. What do you start to think about? Children, family. Uh huh. And what else? That's exactly right. Children, family, the fruits that you sow. But what made the difference? If we weren't in this context, we would have said, well, the minute we heard seed, we would have been thinking about that kind of seed. But when we put it in the culture of the church, now seed can take on a different meaning. So now we look at this text, and when we go to it in our culture, in our today's American culture, when we see that it's going to put enmity. What is that? What's enmity? Hatred. What? Hatred. Hatred. Division. Division. Uh-huh. Animosity. That's exactly right. So in other words, it's going to make them enemies of one another. But then we look at your seed and her seed. We don't take that wooden literal because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, does it? That's what. What? What? That's the reason why we don't take fifteen because we know enough in our context about seed that this doesn't make sense. Well, why are we gonna have two seeds and then there's gonna be some animosity between two seeds? And what does that mean? Huh? It don't make sense at all, does it? So our minds immediately say nonsense and then start looking for a way to plug in something different. But when we looked at 14, our minds did the same thing. But it did it in a different way. It looked at it and then it started trying to plug something in to make it make sense. And we started saying, wait a minute, belly. Wait a minute, crawl. Wait a minute, what could that be? What do we know? And we start trying to plug in what we know from our context. And so... We go to it with the baggage before we can even get any kind of interpretation. But now, we're starting to get cohesiveness because we don't want to interpret Scripture in the same context and we want to, you know, go all over the place with it. Well, wait a minute, here's an allegory here, here's a metaphor here. I mean, in that cohesiveness, if it's to make sense, it's got to follow the same kind of interpretation, literary interpretation. So now we're saying... Seed is a word, 
is a metaphor for what is it a metaphor for? Children. Children. Right? Mm -hmm. In each of your Bibles, is both seeds lowercase? No. No. Both of yours are most most of everybody's is both lowercase, right? Yours lowercase, both of them? No. Mm -hmm. One of them's Gideon thought it should be uppercase. Be uppercase. Mine is uppercase as well. Now watch this. If everybody's Bible was lowercase and uppercase, why would one be lower and the other be uppercase? This is not the beginning of a sentence. Why? Why is that lower uppercase going on? Uh, who's lower? Okay. Not so, quite. There's something else we want to catch. Okay. Okay. All right. Now let's look at those seeds, right? Let's let's stop and let's stop and look real close at the seed. If everybody's Bible had one seed lowercase and one seed uppercase, what do we have to build on? Where do we see these distinctions of lowercase and Uppercase and lowercase. Uh-huh. So when we see words that are talking about Christ or talking about God, they're capitalized. And then others are lowercase. The Bible even talks about gods or a God, but they're lowercase and uppercase. For what reason? Distinction between God and some being of one of his creation. So now, looking at this, what is this saying? If we're looking at verse 15, he's talking to who? Satan. And now he says, between you and the woman. So here's the serpent and Eve. Then, and between your seed. So that means that as God's children, we're going to always be able to grow greater power than anything that can come up against us from Satan. No. 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 Not, not, not what this means. That's not what this means. Look, look, look at it careful. We got, a simple, we got a simple opposition here. We got serpent, Eve. Right. Then we got Seed and seed. But we control them though. But I don't but get it because humans who? control animals. Hmm? Wait, wait now. No. Now in some context that is. Her seed is Christ. Uh-huh. That's right, that's right, that's right. Her seed is Christ because what? Man. Down through yeah, the lineage. The lineage. 42 generations Jesus Christ. That is her offspring. And because it's capitalized, we get that connotation of God. We know Jesus Christ is God and man. We know he is her seed. And so we already can go right to Christ. But what do we do with the other seed? Now that we're starting to interpret it 
inside of his idiomatic way, what's the, what's the other seed about? It was Satan yeah. and Eve. Then it's his seed and her seed. Adam. Is that one there, that's the other seed? No. But the other seed, I thought it was the Satan's dominions. His, that's what I, I okay, thought Okay, it was. brother teacher, do it in Sesame Forum. I think they get confused. Okay. So start. All right, let's start back again. When we look at this, this is one person to one person. Then followed by Christ, we've already established, and we got another seed. Right. Now, here's where we come from to starting to fall apart. We got Satan and Eve. Then we got her seed. On the side of Satan, who is Satan's seed? Himself? Who? In the last days, there's going to come there you go. The Antichrist. Because you don't, I mean, it doesn't make sense to just go and say, well, wait a minute. Uh, <coughs> Satan, Eve, a bunch of children, and then Jesus. That doesn't make sense. There needs to be that one-to-one. -one. So what happens is, okay, down through the annals of time comes Jesus Christ as the victor for Israel and the church. And the Antichrist is the victor for, but he is defeated. But there's going to be this opposition between put Satan and Eve and then between the Antichrist and Christ. Does that make sense? Now it, now it has some symmetry. Because what we do a lot of times is we miss that. We've got to just take this. Now that we finally learned that we need to look at this without trying to be wooden literal, we just start to walk down through this. Now look, he shall bruise your head. Who's that? Who, who is God talking to? Satan. Satan. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Who's being talked about here? Jesus and who else? Who's the two? Jesus Look again. Sure. We're still talking about Jesus and Satan because grammatically, who is God talking to? He's talking to Satan. And so he says to Satan, and he shall bruise your head. And you shall, and he shall, I mean, you, he shall bruise his heel. So he's talking to Satan. But is there anywhere in the Bible where Jesus kicked Satan in the head and his heel got bruised? No. It's not, is it? So what are we dealing with still? We're dealing with metaphor, we're dealing with. Figures of speech. 
to explain something. What is it that's being explained right here? From what you know about Christ. His death. His death. And what part of it puts points to his death? He goes to hell. No. In this text. Right here in this text. No, don't go too far with it. Yeah, just, just stay right there. Well, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Which part of this is talking about Jesus Christ's death? The bruising of the heel. Because Jesus Christ had to suffer. Go ahead, sis. All right, let's hold it. Let's hold our place and look at Romans sixteen twenty. Okay, Romans sixteen twenty. Read that, Sister Allen. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. 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 Uh, real quickly before we step back, Sister Allen, read verses seventeen through twenty. Amen. So now, as we look at this, we realize <coughs> that Christ's heel is bruised. And his heel is bruised because of what? What does that refer to? With clarity, what does that refer to? Christ was crucified. And the Bible says he was bruised for our That's right. So the bruising of his heel points to his sufferings and his ultimate death on the cross for you and for me. But then it says, so Satan bruised his heel because it was Satan's minions, if you will, or those who were obedient to Satan's, the sons of disobedience, who crucified him. Right? right? The Romans and mm -hmm. those hypocrites, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Right. Aha! But now that his heel is bruised, it says that Christ will do what? What does it say in the text? In Genesis 3. What does it say? will bruise his head. So what is that pointing to? <coughs> when Christ
Christ died on the cross for us all. He did what? He rose, yes, right. But what did he do for us? He died for our sins. Uh-huh. And he gave us a right to eternal life. That's right. And not only did he do that, but who was defeated because he died? Satan. Satan. Because what did Satan have on us before Christ died for us? We couldn't go back. We couldn't go to heaven. That's right. And what did he use? Against us. We studied that when we were in Ephesians. What did he use? The law. That's right. He used the law to always condemn us by saying, look, here's where the standard of the law is, and here's where they are. But now in Jesus Christ, we are what? Saved. And we are what else? Forgiven and set apart. Now, remember when we talked about the Ark of the Covenant. Remember when we talked about also Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark represented what? Protection. 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 And it, worked, it represented the person of... The Ark of Safety represented the person of... It was a type of... Type of, type of Christ. That's right. And so Noah's family was inside of the ark. Completely protected and completely out of sight. And so it is the same with us. If you think about what happened in 1620, it was that in, in Romans 1620 that Christ would make it that the same would be under our feet as well. Why is it? He's under Christ's feet and when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are now in the ark of safety. And we are covered in the blood of Christ. And we, our lives are now hidden in, and it's yet not I, but it is who, amen. So here, this is what this talks about. This talks about the victory that Christ will have over that one and also our victory over him as well because we are in Christ. Does everything that we talked about tonight, does that make good sense? Do you see how you got to be careful how you come to Scripture? Because it's so easy for us to come with our own baggage, our own thinking and what we think makes sense. And we mess around, and what we do, we break literary rules. So we have to be careful when we go to a text and really try to empty ourselves first before we come to a text so that we can get it in its historical, grammatical, and cultural context. Bless y'all tonight.